Just to let you know, next week we begin a three-week message series from the book of Exodus. We're going to actually be talking about the Exodus itself and finding a pathway to freedom. And so you don't want to miss that. I think this will be a fantastic three-week series, finding our path to freedom out of the Exodus. And so come prepared next week for that. I'd like to begin by testing your ADD for a moment. Um, So hopefully you took your medication this morning. I'm a fellow struggler with you. But I want to begin this morning's message by reading to you a book called The Spyglass. It's by Richard Paul Evans is his name. And it's a story in my mind that's a great parable, a vision, especially as we head into a new year. And so it's not long, but if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to read you out loud without any miming or acting The Spyglass. All right, kids, ready? (laughs) Once there was a great kingdom. This kingdom was known throughout all lands for its splendor, its magnificent buildings, its great terraced gardens and bountiful farms. But through time, all that had changed. Now the once great buildings were falling down and in need of much repair. The farms were now small and did not grow enough food for the kingdom, and the poor villagers would oftentimes go to bed hungry. (laughs) The people of this kingdom were not just poor by way of things, but they were poor of spirit, for there was not much joy in the village. There were no dances around the maypole nor palace cotillions. Rarely was music heard but for the simple pluckings from the lute of a traveling minstrel now and again. Worst of all, the people had forgotten why their kingdom was once great. The king of this land did not look as you might expect a king to look, for he did not have a magnificent throne or flowing robes or a golden crown inlaid with precious gems. He was the king of a poor kingdom. So he looked quite ordinary and poor himself. His castle was always cold and in need of repair. He had but one manservant and one milkmaid. He did not entertain the kings of other lands, for he was greatly ashamed of his kingdom. To the east of this unhappy land was a beautiful kingdom with great farms and glorious cathedrals and castles. There were lovely gardens adorned with fine sculptures and sparkling fountains. Night and day, the breeze from the city walls carried the most exquisite music and the enticing scents of perfume, myrrh, cassia, and cypress, as well as the smell of delicacies, for there was an abundance of food in the land. It made the people even more unhappy to look on the wealth of their neighbors, for despite their poverty, the people prided themselves on having once been A great kingdom. The king did not leave his castle, for he was weary of the complaints of his subjects. One day as he sat down to a meager dinner of bread, a slab of cheese, and boiled mutton, there came a knock at the castle door. The king's servant opened the door to find an old man with a large oak walking stick. The man wore a cap and a girdle and a coarse woolen tunic, A large cloak of skins was draped over his shoulders. He was carrying a leather canister which hung from his shoulder by rawhide strings. Hail, said the old man. I am but passing through your kingdom to the village to the east. I am looking for an inn to spend the night. The servant frowned. This is not an inn. This is the king's castle. The traveler looked around in surprise. This is not much of a castle, he said. I, the servant agreed. Still, 
I am weary from my journey. I would like to rest here. Well, you must inquire of my Lord, the servant said. Well, lead me to him, said the old man. The servant led the old man down a dark, cold hallway to the king's dining room. The king looked up from his meal as the man entered. You are the king of this land, the old man asked. I am, the king replied. You do not look like a king, the king frowned. I'm the king of a poor kingdom. Our farms do not grow, our buildings are falling down, and my people weary me day and night with their complaints. We were once a great kingdom, but all that has changed. The old man nodded slowly. Why do you not change back, he asked. Change, the king replied angrily. We have tried only to fail. We lack all knowledge of what once made the kingdom great. You lack but one thing, said the old man. If you will give me supper and lodging for the night, I will on the morrow show you why you fail. The king looked at him thoughtfully, then said, motioning to the platters of bread, cheese, and meat, eat your fill. The servant brought in a wooden platter, and the old man ate with the king. When the old man had finished his meal, the servant led him to a room. That night, as the king lay in his bed, he wondered if the stranger had tricked him. The next morning, the old man came to the king in his throne room. You have lived up to your part of the bargain. Now I will live up to mine. Follow me. The king followed the old man to the castle balcony. There the old man brought out a long, round canister and pulled from it a brass tube with a sewn leather cover. It was a spyglass. He raised the spyglass to his eye and looked out over the land until a smile crossed his face. Then he handed the spyglass to the king. Look hither. The king looked out through the glass, and he could see great farms and gardens, magnificent castles and cathedrals. He lowered the spyglass and said impatiently, I have seen the wonders of the eastern kingdom. I hear far too much of them. You are mistaken, said the old man. It is your own kingdom, you see. The king again raised the spyglass. This time, he recognized the hills and glens of his own kingdom. But where there had been barren pasture, there were now fields of grain stretching as far as the eye could see. His own people were in the fields, their wagons overflowing with their harvest. You are a wizard, said the king. It is a trick of the glass. It's no trick, said the old man. But when the king put down the glass, his kingdom looked the same as before. Nothing has changed. No, said the old man. Change requires work, but one must first see before doing. The king again raised the glass. What greatness this kingdom holds. You have seen what might be, said the old man. Now go and make it so. After two harvests, I will return for my spyglass. The king on horseback went out into his kingdom. He rode until he came to the edge of a once beautiful garden, now overrun with weeds and thistles. No one walked in the garden. There was neither the happy cries of playing children nor the pleased sighs of lovers. A group of villagers were standing outside its fence. Their children played at their feet in the dirty roadway. Why do you not use the garden? The king asked them. It's not fit, sire, replied a woman. So it is not, agreed the king. But it could be. Look. The king held out the spyglass, and by one by one, the villagers looked through the tube at the garden. The weeds and thistles were gone, and the lawns were lush and inviting, but when they set down the glass, the garden had returned to its overgrown state. It is an amusing device, said one man, but of no use. No use indeed, the king said. Behold, knave. And he went to the garden and began to pull the weeds up by his own hands. When the villagers saw what he was doing, they too began to pull up weeds until they had uncovered a large marble statue of an angel. 
its wings spread, its face looking toward heaven. The people stared at the statue in silent awe. At length, the king mounted his horse. Before he left, he said, You have seen what might be. Now make it so. The king rode further down the road until he came to a farmer sitting on the ground threshing grain with a small flail. How goes it, man? the king asked. The weary farmer barely looked up. Can't grow in enough to feed ourselves, sire, the farmer sadly replied. The king lifted the spyglass from his coat. Come hither, good man. Behold your farm. The farmer lifted the eyepiece to his eye and gasped. It is sorcery. You have seen what might be, said the king. Now make it so. Farther down the road, the king came to a crumbling cathedral. The roof had rotted and fallen in, and it was no longer safe to enter its arched doors. There were tents pitched outside where a small congregation had gathered, duct tape all around. I just made that last part up. (laughs) The king rode his horse up to the tent. The friar who stood before the people stopped speaking at his approach. All turned to see the king. Why do you meet in tents, the king asked. Why, sire, our cathedral has fallen. Why have you not rebuilt it? The friar opened his arms to his congregation. We are few in number and poor. Have you shown your congregation what could be? The king asked. The friar looked quizzically at the king. And what might that be? See for yourself, said the king, and handed him the spyglass. The friar looked through it and saw a new cathedral, larger than the decaying buildings and more elaborate, adorned with beautiful sculptures of saints and cherubs. The friar stared in awe. By the grace of God, he said, I have seen a vision. You have seen what might be, said the king. Now make it so. Day by day, the king went out until he had visited all the people of his kingdom and shown them what might be. Though though there were those who would not look through the glass or who refused to believe what they saw, the greater part of the villagers looked with wonder and hope. That same year, there was a plentiful harvest, and the farmers filled their wagons and barns with grain. But not just the farmers prospered. The wagon builders were busy building wagons to carry all the grain. The millers were busy milling the grain into flour. And for the first time, for as long as the villagers could remember, there was more than enough to eat. Music and dancing again filled the streets. Old buildings were repaired, and new buildings arose, including the beginning of the most majestic cathedral in all the land. And as promised, two harvests later... The old man returned to the kingdom. He almost did not recognize the castle, for so greatly had it changed. The scarred wooden door he had once knocked on was new and intricately carved. Beautiful tapestries adorned the now polished marble floors. The castle's once cold chambers were warmed with heat and music, and the king was attended to by a bevy of servants and maids. The king, dressed in lavish robes of fur and silk, warmly welcomed the old man. My friend, he said, I have awaited your return. Look what prosperity your spyglass has brought my people. Let us make merry and prepare a great feast in your honor. The old man smiled. You've done well. But I cannot tarry. I have only come for my spyglass. Then I will be on my way. At this, the king frowned. In the two seasons since you blessed us with your arrival, we have accumulated much treasure. In exchange for the spyglass, I will trade all of the gold in the royal coffers with men and wagons enough to carry it to wherever your destination. You have spoken wisely, said the old man, for the gift of the spyglass is worth more than all the gold in all the royal coffers all throughout the land. But keep your gold. You no longer need the spyglass. But there's still much to be done, pleaded the king. Yes, said the old man, but you no longer need the spyglass. You can see without it. How is it possible, asked the king. The spyglass only showed you what could be if you believed. 
for it was only faith that you and your people lacked. The king shook his head in disbelief. How could this be? Faith is foolishness. So says the fool, the old man said. Faith is the beginning of all journeys. It is by faith that the seed is planted. It is by faith that the foundation is dug. It is by faith that each book is penned and each song is written. Only with faith can we see that which is not, but can be. The eye of faith is greater than the natural eye, for the natural eye sees only a portion of truth. The eye of faith sees without bounds or limits. I had not supposed, the king said. That is why you once failed, said the old man. Faith is why you now succeed. He placed his hand on the king's shoulder and said with a smile, You have seen what might be, now go and make it so. And though the old man and his spyglass were never again seen in the land, the kingdom continued to prosper and became again the great kingdom of old. Yet despite their abundance of food, their beautiful buildings, their lush gardens and magic cathedrals, it was ever after said of the kingdom that their greatest treasure was their faith. I know we each have different personalities and thus approach a new year differently. Some, like me, find this to be one of their favorite holidays. I love New Year's. It is on the calendar for me a symbol of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may only be symbolic, but there's just something about getting a clean slate and a fresh start that reminds me of what I have received by way of goodness and grace and mercy in Jesus. His work on the cross is, of course, not time-bound to a date on a calendar like January 1st, but there's just something about the new year that allows me, at least symbolically by way of calendar, to have a clean slate and a fresh start. It feels like throughout the year, things get attached to my life that I probably don't need attached to it. Sometimes it's a particular behavior. Sometimes it's a habit. Sometimes even things that start out fairly benign, but as I think about it, isn't helping me get to where it is that I want to go. And sometimes I can look back in the past year and see it's a particular attitude, maybe towards someone or something that maybe I didn't even have this time last year, but something happened along the way in this past year that kind of rubbed me the wrong way or that I saw in a particular angle, and now there's sort of this attitude that doesn't reflect the one of Christ. Or sometimes it's a thought, maybe sometimes even inwardly focused about myself, that if I had just a moment to stop and reflect on it, I would be able to identify it then as a lie and that it was actually sabotaging some of very important areas of my life. And we all have them. These unwritten tapes and these unwritten rules that we speak to ourselves, that we pick up along life's journey. In fact, I had a counselor one time assigned to me the task of just sitting down and writing out, according to Sam, unwritten rules of my life. The things that I keep saying to myself over and over and over again. So I did. And it's amazing to actually get it out on paper and to read it there in black and white and then to come to understand that the implications are powerful. Asking people for help is always an imposition to them. Now, could you imagine living your whole life with that assumption, that unwritten rule? Something bad is probably right around the corner. How far do you think that will get you in regards to life? And I won't even tell you the rest because you'll think to yourself, why are we listening to this guy? which, by the way, is on my unwritten rules. See, sometimes life is like running through a a field that has thistles in it that you're unaware of, and you come out the other side, don't you? You got them all stuck to your clothes. You're like, where did these come from? Sometimes our journey in life is just like that. You get to the other side, and you look down, and you've got thistles all over. And a thistle can represent a sin or a behavior or a thought or an attitude. So for me, 
a new year is sort of like the ability to take off the clothes I've been wearing in 2014 and exchange it for new clothes handed to me by Jesus. And for whatever reason, the New Testament talks about being clothed in Christ often. Romans 13, 14 says, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul will say to the church of Colossians, those of you who have been baptized with Christ have been clothed with Christ. Jesus will tell a parable about a wedding banquet that's being thrown, and he goes out and invites people who really weren't necessarily invited, and what they all receive are wedding garments to wear to the special occasion. And you could keep wearing what you got on, but it won't help you in 2015 because it's got too many thistles. You've picked up too many foreign objects that will just slow you down. And so every year at New Year's, I enter full of resolutions 237 of them, full of hope and full of the symbolism of our faith that, once again, we get another chance. What? You didn't live up to the 237 resolutions of last year? I know. But that was Sam 2014. This is Sam 2015. You know you tried to stop thinking like that last year. I know. But that was Sam 2014. This is Sam 2015. This is like an upgrade. It's like an app that God is always updating. Like the little icon is there in your life, a little notification that it's available to fix the bugs and the crashes and the quirks and also to add new features that I've never had before to give me more options and a better look than I had in 2014, maybe even more hair. And so I welcome the new year and the new update to my life. And I'm ready at any moment, but especially this moment, to step out of one year and with it, everything that held me back. It's sort of like a Taylor Swift song. We're just going to shake it off, shake it off. (laughs) Go ahead. Don't be shy about it. Who here just, no, you need to shake off 2014. It's time to start a new year. Everyone just like, this year is done. Let's just move on. I don't know if there might be somebody who needs a moment where you could just receive from the Spirit of God a fresh start to life a moment where you can receive in a very real and tangible way a clean slate and a moment to receive grace and forgiveness from our God. And so what I'd like to do, and we don't do this normally, and don't worry, you don't have to do anything like you're not getting up or anything, but I'd like to spend a moment in just quiet reflection. And I'm going to lead you in it, but I'd like you to reflect on the past year and prepare yourself for a new year. And if you don't want to, that's okay. You can just think about lunch or whatever whatever you want to do. Take a little nap if you want to. But for those of you who would like to participate, just as a reflection, as we kind of prepare for a new year, I'm going to ask, go ahead and if you wouldn't mind, close your eyes, just kind of get real comfortable. Don't necessarily lay down on the person next to you, but close your eyes, bow your head, get a little comfortable. Go ahead and loosen your shoulders. Release the tension out of your neck. If it helps, you can sit with your hands on your lap, palms up. Go ahead and take a deep breath. God, as we are about to wrap up this year and prepare ourselves for a new one, we are filled with cautious anticipation of what a new year could bring. And we'd like to give ourselves permission to believe and hope for the best and to look to you for all good things. But as we approach a new year, we want to appropriately bring closure to this past one. And because there are so many people here with different experiences and different life situations, we are all over the map in regards to this past year. For some, this has been the best year ever. And for others, this past year has been simply tragic. And for most, it's just a mixture of both. So I pray right now that your spirit would fill us and give us vision, perspective, truth, and revelation in regards to the past year. 
I'm going to ask that you go ahead and just bring to your mind the hardest thing that you had to walk through in 2014. The hardest thing you had to walk through in 2014. Maybe it's the area of the greatest hurt or the greatest pain or the greatest disappointment. Now let's give this to God. God, we recognize that the times in our life that we grew the most spiritually rarely or if ever took place when things were easy. And so we lift up to you our greatest hurt and our greatest pain or our greatest disappointment of this past year. And we aren't even sure of all the reasons why. We're not even necessarily blaming you for these things. We recognize some of them have taken place because of the sins of others. Some of them have little causation whatsoever it would appear and Some may even be the end result of years of little decisions we've made, but we want to reconcile this pain and this hurt and this disappointment. We don't want it to be an open and festering wound going into a new year. We want to seize the opportunity to grow from it and to be transformed by it for good, but we also know that these hurts and pains and disappointments are ripe for opportunity for our enemy to plant seeds of resentment or bitterness or anger and discouragement that sabotages a new year. Would you protect us from our enemy? Would you lead us not into temptation? Would you rescue us from any plan or plot designed against us and shield us with your power and your strength? We declare that we are free and that you are the God who rescues and delivers us from our greatest hurt and disappointment. That we can name all of our pains. And in the end, we know that the name of Jesus is greater than any other name. So we cry out to you, Lord Jesus, and ask you to redeem our pain for your glory. Now, if you would go ahead and bring to your mind that sin, or maybe it's a habit, or an addiction, or a behavior that you know God is calling you to repent of, that you do not need to bring into a new year, go ahead and just let it come to your mind. Don't be afraid of it. It's God's grace in your life when he reveals it to you and brings about conviction. That means he loves you and he's not finished working in your life. Just go ahead and bring it to mind. Father, we confess that we do not have the power to get ourselves out of our own messes. And the gospel of of Jesus is not one of trying harder, but one of surrender and release. That the task of repentance is not one of discipline, but one of clinging to the cross and grace of Jesus. So would you bring to mind that sin or that habit or that behavior or that addiction that you want us to leave behind in 2014? Just one, God, for fear that we would be quickly overwhelmed if you would reveal all of our sins. But just that one that you're calling us out of in this lifelong process of sanctification. What do we need to lay down right now and not pick up in a new year? We ask that you give us courage, give us strength. Even when we are scared out of our mind to have it pruned from our lives, we bind Satan and the lies and position he has held in our thinking or behavior. And in the name of Jesus, we pray for a release of any foothold that we have even granted to our enemy. We declare that our lives are your temple and the only inhabitants within that we desire are you, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, if you would go ahead and bring to mind that person that you need to forgive or seek forgiveness from, maybe that one person that you know is different now than it was this time last year because of that fight or maybe that argument or that personality clash, go ahead and sense where you think that root of bitterness is starting to grow in your life. Just bring it to mind. Father, you have very clearly told us to forgive as we have been forgiven. 
You very clearly call us to a life that rejects the possibilities of bitterness and unforgiveness. And while we might not be best friends with everyone, we at the very least don't want to live in a spirit of contention and agitation with anyone. Would you fill us with your love, your grace, and your forgiveness? Will you give us the courage to ask for forgiveness if necessary and also to pronounce forgiveness? Now I want you to shift your thoughts from external to internal. And what do you need to forgive yourself for in this past year? What thing are you holding over yourself that's stealing joy in your life? What failure or maybe what misstep or what decision do you keep coming back to and beating yourself up for? What self-imposed expectation did you not live up to that has you living in a prison of self-imposed shame? Should that come to your mind for a moment? Father, we confess that we are not perfect. That we don't always live up to our own expectations and desires. And often we're able to catch a glimpse that those expectations and desires aren't from you. And they don't even originate with ourselves, but have been handed to us in ways we were unaware from parents or people of influence or our spouse or others. They often call us to things that you aren't calling us to. And we ask right now that the only voice we will hear and recognize to be the one that comes from Jesus, who is our good shepherd. Would you silence all other voices and remove from our thoughts all other expectations? And now for those moments that we totally blew this year, that we failed miserably at, that we were cowardly or filled with intense anger or were lazy or passive, we not only ask for your forgiveness, but we pronounce that we forgive ourselves, that we declare in the name of Jesus that Satan will not use our failings against us to keep us from tasting the peace that comes from the mercy and grace of Jesus. Now, if you would bring to mind the best thing that happened to you this year, what's the greatest gift you'll take out of 2014? Maybe it's a new baby, a new job, an opportunity. Maybe it's a victory over some area of your life. Maybe it's a new friendship or a relationship. Maybe you became debt-free in 2014. Whatever good thing Whatever good thing you did receive this year, just bring that to your mind. Father, we give you thanks for the gifts of 2014. And we declare, as your word tells us, that all good gifts come from you. So we receive it with gratitude and we say thank you. What we pray is that this gift will be for us a lesson and reminder as we enter into a new year that you provide for us and that you take care of us. But as we enter a new year, we ask that you would throw open the floodgates of heaven and let your blessings fall upon us. Would you give us the gift of health and the gift of peace? May we prosper in every area of our life, even as our soul desires to prosper. And may the gifts of this year not be eclipsed by struggle. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're not already, you can go ahead and open your eyes. Wake up the person next to you if they fell asleep. Just kind of tap them on the shoulder. Now, I do want to say to you that it's quite possible some of the things that may have come up to your mind in any of these categories still might feel very weighty to you. A group exercise of prayer isn't enough to sometimes reconcile or deal with what may have come to your mind in spirit. So I want to say if that is you, if there's something that you feel stuck on right now, when we're all done this morning, we're going to close the service and people will be filing out. But what will happen up front here is our prayer team and our elders will be up here. And if you haven't ever experienced it, you should. And if you have experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. There's something about someone praying over you and for you in the name of Jesus 
that is powerful. There's something about at least two people agreeing in the name of Jesus. The New Testament tells us there's real spiritual power in that. It talks about binding and loosing is the language that Jesus will use. And I totally understand what typically happens is Satan tries to stop you. He begins to say things like, you're going to look silly. And what I want you to know is no one around you cares. Like, nobody's watching. They don't care, I promise. You think everyone is watching. You go forward for prayer, but no one really is. Just go to whatever and whoever you want to, whoever you feel comfortable with. Just walk up and say, I need to pray about, and then let them know, and they will pray with you and over you, and you'll agree in Jesus' name, and I promise you'll be blessed. And if you aren't blessed by it, I'll give you back your tithes and offerings for the day. (laughs) If you didn't give a tithes and offering today, you will get nothing back, but I promise it will change you. But this is only part of our task, to bring appropriate closure to 2014. The second part, and in my mind the better part, is to look ahead to a new year. And this is where the metaphor of the spyglass is so powerful to me. You have to see what can be. Now go make it so. Ultimately, it's a call to have a vision for a new year, to see with eyes of faith what does not exist now, but what can. And it is a world of infinite possibilities because we serve a God for whom nothing is impossible for. What struck me the most was the refrain, you have seen what could be, now make it so. The Lord is often faithful to show His servants what can be. It's called vision or revelation. Proverbs 29, 18 will say, where there is no vision, people perish, or where there is no revelation, the people will cast off restraint. And it's a gift of God to receive a vision of what can be. The things that I like about New Year is the time to reassess life and as it really is, and then to dream and imagine and envision life as it could be. And already many of you have received a revelation or a vision of your life or what could be. Note that it's not your life now. In fact, if you were to talk about it right now, you would risk others around you looking at you and thinking, what a wild-eyed dreamer. But you have a vision for what your life can look like financially. Some of you can see we're debt-free, and I'm out of poverty. And I'm no longer enslaved to deficits, and I don't have to get in a fight with my spouse at the end of every month. Others of you have a vision of what your life can be in regards to health, free from aches and pains caused by our excesses and lack of activity, or free from addictions and behaviors that we have this sneaky suspicion that they're kind of slowly killing us. Others of you have a vision for what your marriage can be. It isn't now, but you can see, full of joy happiness and laughter and love and life. Others of you have a vision for what kind of a parent you can be. Who cares what's been in the past in the sense of it's not what is, but it's what can be. Others of you have a vision for what you can accomplish at work. Others of you have a vision for your life that's free from a particular sin. And others of you have a vision of who you are and what you can do because God has given it to you for the kingdom of God. You have a vision of how to get out of that particular problem or that particular situation or that circumstance or that dilemma. It's as if the Lord has lifted a spyglass of faith to your eye and has asked you to look again at your life. And through lenses of faith, you begin to see what could be. And this is the power of our gospel. Once in Christ, we begin to see life through the lens of faith. And through that lens, we begin to see what could be. The world The whole world is lost in sin and poverty and greed and selfishness and distress. It's a kingdom that once was but now is not and needs faith to see what it can be again. 
And this is the ministry of Jesus. Didn't he encounter individuals and ask them to look through a spyglass of faith of what could be? And didn't he charge them with, now go and make it so? Didn't he take 12 men whose lives pretty much were mundane and routine and Jesus would show up and through faith give them a glimpse of what can be and he will say, now go and make it so. Didn't he take a woman at a well in Samaria and show her a picture of life and what it can be and then in the end say, now go and make it so. Didn't he take a blind man and give him a vision both literal and metaphoric of what life can be and say, now go make it so. He, do, he could take a demonized child and give vision for what life now can look like. Jesus walks around much like the old man in our story and continually calls us to a life that can only be seen through the lens of faith. Many of us have caught glimpses from our Lord by the ministry of the Holy Spirit of what life can be, healed of a disease, full of the fruits of the spirits, empowered by the gifts of the Spirit, true and abundant life. You have caught a glimpse of your passion and your calling, You've caught a glimpse of what life in the world and in in word and in prayer look like. To each of you that begin this new year with a vision for what could be, let me say to you, go and make it so. Go and collect the harvest that has already been provided for you through the power of God that can only be seen by faith. Don't settle for broken down cathedrals. Don't settle for living in poverty. Don't settle for fields that yield nothing. You have seen that there is more. Now, go and make it so. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart.
I could get our elders and our prayer team to come on up here, if you wouldn't mind just picking your way on up here. And while they do this, um, well, the rest of you, if you wouldn't mind standing with me. Again, your invitation is if you need somebody to pray with this morning, just any face that looks friendly to you, like, ah, I'd like to pray with them. That would be just fine. But my prayer and blessing for you is may the God who is all good and all powerful meet you in the coming year. Amen. You're dismissed.